On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we're going to continue a discussion that we started last week. Yeah, we want to talk about the Lord's Supper some more. We had really, I think, an interesting discussion last week, and we got some feedback and some extra questions, and we just thought we'd hit that topic one more time because it seemed to be a lot of interesting questions. And still some important questions that we had not covered that need to be covered in this uh, discussion, and so it's going to be a, a good hour. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to it, starting right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, January 14th, 2021. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Kyle's behind the controls as usual. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're listening. And we want to hear from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And sign in the chat room with other listeners if you're listening to us live tonight. That's the easiest way for you to be heard. The best way is on the phone at 877-381-4567. Yeah. Uh, we really are getting a little bit past time for the um, daily Bible reading calendar. We'll mention it one more time. It is on our website. Go to collegeview.com. You'll see a link to the 2021 Bible reading calendar. You can you can look there online and get your reading assignments per day, or you can print it off. It's a PDF. You can print your own, or you can, you can send your snail mail to college view, uh, questions at collegeview.com, and we'll send you a hard copy in the mail. But uh, sort of last call for the 2021 Daily Bible Reading Calendar. Last call, but you still have a special offer. You can throw in a bumper sticker exactly with right. that reading calendar. Uh, questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use to send that in. You, you'll want one of those calendars. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, so earlier today to our update list, I sent out some questions, and they, and they had to do with, first of all, with a call that we actually got last week from a listener in Vermont. Uh, Jeanette called from Vermont, and she indicated that she just had a really strong conscience that she should be observing the Lord's Supper, even if she's uh, confined at home and not able to assemble with the church. And, and it was really a matter of conscience with her. She just felt that she had to do that. And we tried to comment briefly about that last week. Uh, uh, but it, it got was toward the end of the call hour, and we were sort of rushed on time. And we, well, I would have liked to spend more time with Jeanette. We didn't get to. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we, we're sorry we had to hurry our, our comments with Jeanette. But we want to talk. I, I just thought I would use that uh, to generate some discussion about conscience. What's the role of conscience, not only about the Lord's observing the Lord's Supper, but about all things? What should be the proper view of using our conscience? Yes. So, so that's what we want to do with that. Okay. Um, from North Carolina, Steve wrote and, and asked this question regarding the fruit of the vine, Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one. Paul condemned the Corinthians for being drunken. Uh, he mentions the Greek word methuo, uh, to drink to intoxication, to get drunk. 
Are we to assume that taking fermented wine itself was just another one of their abuses, or was it okay, or was it okay for the Corinthians to drink fermented wine if they did not become drunken? Okay. Now, I thought that was an important question relative to the Lord's Supper, because we talked last week about the fact we believe that the Lord's Supper should be observed with grape juice, unfermented grape juice, not alcoholic wine. But an argument is offered, and, and, and Steve's email references what some people say. Well, actually, that proves that they were using fermented wine. And so how do we answer that? Okay. 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 Then from Iowa, actually, this is the, I think a lot of people recognize if we mention Iowa, it's probably our buddy Dwight. And this this uh, question comes from Dwight in Iowa. All right, Dwight. Uh, he says, concerning the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper and our giving. I have I've seen brethren in the past give their offering to another member to give for them because they were going to be gone from the services that Sunday. Scripture teaches us to give upon the first day of the week. Let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. Should we be giving our offering to another to give for us? Would it be any different to ask someone to partake the Lord's Supper for us if we're going to miss? I, I thought that was kind of an interesting question. It might be, deserve a little bit of attention. We talk about the Lord's Supper a lot and all the proper observances of it, but there's there's a pattern for the giving as well, and we should comment about that. Okay. Then I added, these are from Columbia, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Uh, administrator to the virtual Bible study suggested these additional questions. All right. Should we use just one cup in the observance of the Lord's Supper, since this is what Jesus and the disciples did when the Lord's Supper was instituted? Now, that's actually a loaded question, and it assumes something that that, that is not that's, proven. Okay, let's talk uh, that, about that. That has to be proven, that they actually did use one cup. We'll talk about that. Okay. Should Should there be only one piece of bread? Until the blessing is offered and then break it up and pass it out. Some people have questions about that. We need to talk about that. You know, here uh, at College View and the observance of the Lord's Supper, because of uh, coronavirus protocols, we've actually been having just small pieces of bread in individual plastic bags given to the various worshipers. So we got we got a hundred different pieces of bread instead of one piece of bread, then break it up. So uh, see, some people have an issue maybe with that. Let's talk about that. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And we should reiterate at the at the start of this program, because we've got a lot of questions here, people wanting to know about what the Scriptures teach on these things. At a point we made last week that's very important to remember here is that we must do all that we do by the authority of God's Word. Colossians 3, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through Him. Everything that I do has to be done by God's authority. And these questions are around that. We talked last week about the elements of the Lord's Supper, the fruit of the vine and uh, the unleavened bread. And we partake of those because that's what the scriptures specify. And when the scriptures specify and tell you what to do, then you're not at liberty to change that. You can't go and change it to make it milk and chocolate chip cookies. Uh, and if anyone tried to do that across the religious world today, I mean, it doesn't matter what denomination one would be in. You take the most far-out denomination that's following every social diversion there is, and you say, we're having milk and chocolate chip cookies for Lord's Supper. No, 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 no. Can't go there. Can't go there. No, I just can't, I just can't abide that. But then they would go along and say, well, we can allow for homosexual marriage. There's no problem with that. Well, why can't I have chocolate chip and and cookies and milk for the Lord's Supper? You see, if you don't demand scriptural authority for everything, you can't demand it for anything. Or or ordaining women ministers or priests. Yeah. You know, uh, if you're not if you're if you're if you're going to be 
demanding on the Lord's Supper, you need to be demanding on everything else. And that's really what we have to do. We have to demand Bible authority for all things. All that we do. And then the, the minute that I divert from that and say, well, I, the scriptures don't really teach that I can do that, but I'm going to do it anyways. There's the barn door. It has been opened. And anything and everything is going to go through. Uh, we've got to be prepared for that. All right. All right. We've got a call coming in. We do. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, Kyle can take care of screening that for us. And then okay. we'll, we'll go on. All right, let's talk about this matter of conscience. And, and we're just using Jeanette's good call last week, and and and, and we certainly want to respect uh, her and and her and her concerns. Yes, for and, sure. not, and so anything we're saying tonight is not to belittle or ridicule uh, her concerns. Her concerns are are sincere, and uh, and 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 she's concerned about doing the right thing. And so we want to talk about that. So it is important to have a good conscience. Yes. And, and I picked out some verses here that talk about having a good conscience. For instance, in Romans chapter 13, Paul told us to observe the the, the rules of civil authority. He says, in Romans 13, beginning verse 1, Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Skip down to verse 5. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath's sake, but also for conscience sake. He said, he said Obey the civil government, because they might punish you if you don't. That's for wrath's sake. But you need to do it to keep your conscience clear. Uh, so it is important to have a clear conscience. First Timothy 1, verse 5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. We want to have Our goal is to have a clear conscience. First Timothy 3, verse 8 and 9, likewise must deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. So there are multiple references to the fact that it is very important to have a clear conscience or a pure conscience. But the problem is that it's possible for us to let our consciences become corrupted. Uh, if, if our consciences are not properly trained, then... Uh, and I didn't bring the notes I wanted on that. That's if our okay. consciences are not properly trained, then it's possible for us to have a clear conscience but actually be doing the wrong thing. Um, the, the, the classic reference on that is about the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, when he was arrested in Jerusalem at the end of the, his third missionary journey, uh, he he talks about he, – he, he several times – he gives a defense of his, of really of his position, of his life, of his work. But he talks about the fact that before he was a Christian, he was a terrible persecutor. Uh, and, and he says, but he says that even while he was doing that, he had a good conscience. In Acts chapter 24, verse 16, he says, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Uh, a chapter earlier in verse 1, he says he lived chapter, in all good conscience before chapter, God until this day. Chapter 23, verse 1. Yeah. So that he, and then, if you want to definitely pin down the fact that he's including his time as a persecutor, look in chapter 26, uh, verse 9. Uh, chapter 26, verse 9, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. So Paul says, I've always maintained a clear conscience toward God. I always tried to do that. And actually, I thought I was doing the right thing when I was persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail. 
and having them put to death. So Paul's example shows us that your conscience cannot be the absolute guide because it's possible to have a, a clear conscience and be doing absolutely the wrong thing. Here's an example of what uh, Paul said would happen in the latter days in First Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. These people are going to be speaking lies and hypocrisy. It doesn't bother their conscience. Their conscience is clear. It doesn't bother them because their conscience is desensitized. It is not aligned with the Scripture. So, conscience is a valuable tool. God gave us the capacity to have a conscience. Uh, and, and when properly trained, it can help us stay on the right track. But be aware that conscience is not the absolute test of what's right and wrong because the conscience can be misinformed. The conscience can be ignored. The conscience can be... Uh, uh, I don't know what, what word you want to say. It, it it can be corrupted to the fact that it could even Callous. be signing off, telling you you're doing the right thing when you're doing absolutely the wrong thing. And this is the danger of the justification that so many give in the religious world today. When you ask them about their life that they're living or the activities that they're engaged in, in whatever religious organization they're in, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Does so that, that prove it's right? Right. Not according to what Paul said. Yeah. And, and so they're based, again, the problem is letting conscience be the absolute guide. Okay. Uh, Dwight in the chat room says conscience can be deceived. Absolutely true. All right. Let's, let's see what, we got some emails we in do, here. We do, and they're from far and wide tonight. Kent's down in Georgia. He says, no, the conscience does not justify actions that are not personal judgments, uh, judgment matters. The conscience is an important element in, of the human constitution. However, the conscience is a prompter that either accuses or excuses our action. The conscience is only as good as it has been instructed, so it is not the standard of authority. The New Testament of Christ is our only standard, John 17, 17, Colossians 3, 17, and 2 John, verse 9. The truth of God is objective and exists separate and apart from the human mind. It, it, if one determines truth by the human conscience, then they are using subjective thinking rather than objective truth to determine the validity of a practice. Romans 14 deals with matters of personal judgment. Obviously, the conscience plays an important role in such matters, Romans 14, verses 17 through 23. However, the Lord's Supper is not a Romans 14 issue, so it is a misapplication of Scripture to make the observance of the Lord's Supper an issue settled only by using one's personal conscience as a standard of authority. The New Testament authority that we have for observance of the Lord's Supper is on the first day of the week in the worship assembly. Mohan uh, says we have to go to the Word to justify what we believe in practice, not our emotions. The reason there is a lot of confusion on many topics such as salvation is because most people want to go by their emotions rather than what the Word says. Thank you, Mohan. I think just to sort of illustrate what Mohan is saying, I think he's exactly right. A lot of confusion arises from the fact that people want to follow their feelings rather than the facts of Scripture. Uh, So I have just I just have this strong conscience. I just really feel it's so important to baptize babies. Uh, And so I'm going to do that because my conscience says it, it. I just feel good when I do it. Well, there's no authority for baptizing babies. Uh, and I'm just using that as an illustration that if, if we use our emotion, if we use our conscience, we can go in, in all kinds of different directions. And there certainly won't be any unity in the religious world because our feelings are all different from one another. We need, we need an objective standard 
something hard and fast, a rule that we can go to, and that's what the Word of God How provides. How can we ever be unified if you say, well, I think I don't see anything wrong with this, and I say, well, I do see something wrong with that, and Kyle says, well, I don't see anything wrong with this other thing. How could we ever be unified unless we agree to the standards that what the Bible says, that's what we're going to do, and we're going to stop there. And we're not going to do what we think's best. We're going to do what God said was best, and then we'll all be unified and we'll, just like God would have it. Okay. And Mohan's, Mohan talks about you know our conscience not being our guide. Mohan is one of those people who who has personal experience of this. Mohan had to uh, to come to a better understanding of what the Scripture said on this area of salvation. It wasn't easy for Mohan, I know, I'm sure, but uh, Mohan was willing to do that um, in order uh, to uh, to be submissive to God's okay. will. Jeff right. is down. Uh, not, no, that's, uh, a, that's the next question. All right, we need we need Dwight. Dwight says our conscience must line up with the authority of God's word. In all we do, many folks sincerely believe that they are saved even though they haven't been baptized. Paul, in all good conscience, persecuted the church and was wrong. The scriptures teach us that we assemble for the Lord's Supper. This present-day distress has tested many Christians in this area. Uh, Many have thought that this type of worship is acceptable to God, but just as Nahadab and Abihu thought that any fire would do, they lost their lives. The Lord's Supper is so important, it needs to be partaken as the Lord prescribed. Thank you okay. for that. I think we've got a call, Jacob. We uh, do. Let's get a break, and we'll get uh, the call on the other side of the break. Uh, so if you have comments you'd like to add, uh, send them in the chat room now. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. Here's a quick thought. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 If Christ lives in you, you must die to self. Jesus died for you. Would you die for him? No greater love can be shown than to lay down your life for another. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Are you courageous enough to admit your faults? Are you strong enough to correct them? By improving yourself, the world is made better. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the virtual Bible study tonight. Uh, reminding you, we're talking about the uh, Lord's Supper and some questions on that. And uh, and Jeanette from Vermont has called back tonight. Uh, Jeanette, uh, thank you for calling and uh, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Well, I just wanted to clear up something. Sure. Um, my conscience comes from the Bible. Okay. My uh, My understanding of you know, Matthew twenty six twenty six is a commandment mm-hmm. from Jesus saying to take the Lord's Supper. Okay. Then you go over to the um, uh, in in Acts twenty verse seven, mm-hmm. and it tells you on the first day of the week. Okay, so my I... only objection was that uh, to to say that you just have to be in the congregation. You've given me some approved examples of where they did take it, but I'm not sure that that's uh, the right approach. I mean, you know, I to me it's a commandment, and the commandment comes first before approved example. But so, I realize that they go hand in hand. They do. So but you, I didn't want you guys to think that yeah. my conscience, oh, oh. that I was just going by my conscience. No, 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 no. We didn't, Jeanette. But you did say, you know, you just if you don't, you, your conscience is plagued if you don't 
observe the Lord's Supper. And so that's sort of what we were using as our, our jumping off point to talk about conscience. But Jesus told us to, uh, in, in Matthew 26, he told us what to do. He told us to uh, uh, eat the bread, to remember his body, to, to, to drink the cup, to remember his blood. He told us what to do. But he didn't tell us how to do it or when to uh, do or it. Or when to do it. You mentioned, you referenced Acts 20 verse 7, which is so important because that verse gives us the information about when to do it. We wouldn't, we wouldn't know when to do it except for Acts 20 verse 7. Uh, so Jesus told us what to do, but he didn't tell us how to do it or when to do it. And, and we get that additional information from not only the approved example of Acts 20 verse 7, because Acts 20 verse 7 actually says, it, they they partook the Lord's Supper when they came together. To uh, so, Acts twenty verse seven, the verse that you reference, actually, uh, it, it, it is apostolic example, but it it specifies that it was done in the coming together. But then when we get over to First uh, Corinthians eleven, uh, the, this is not example. This is actually statement inspired in statement. A direct statements from the inspired apostle Paul that talk about when you come together, therefore into one place, uh, chapter 11, verse 20. Uh, so, uh, there's, there's a number of references there in 1 Corinthians 11. There's, it's not example. It's actually direct statement of an inspired apostle that talks about the observing of the Lord's Supper to be done when the saints come together, when the church comes together in one place. And so, uh, again, we, we, we obviously cherish what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, but we got to take the full picture of the totality of information in the New Testament in order to be able to get... Now, when get, I said about my, my conscience is that, okay, so we had to zoom in for all these months. We couldn't come together mm-hmm. because our state in Vermont said we could not. Right. And I, I kind of fought my elders on this and said we need to come together. So I tried to get them to see, but they wanted to do what the law said to do. Yeah. So, you know, it was uh, important to me that we continue to do the Lord's Supper to partake because it says as oft as you eat and drink of this, you remember my death. So, you know, to me, to do it for all those months and not partake of the Lord's Supper was kind of unconscionable because I needed to follow the, 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 uh, Jeanette, what, 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 said. Jeanette, how would you address a situation of a person who is, uh, in confinement in a nursing facility, for instance, uh, and, and they're not able to take the Lord's Supper? I mean, in other words, but, what I'm asking is if we are if we are honestly and genuinely hindered from being able to assemble and take the Lord's Supper, I believe the Lord knows that and doesn't hold us responsible for doing what we can't do. You know, probably I don't know, but but are you talking about a nursing home or the hospital? Oh, either one. Uh, well, the nursing home—that's a place where they live now. So I wouldn't have any problems. In fact, we've done this in the past, uh, my husband and I, not this congregation, but my husband and I have done this in the past when we used to live in Arizona. And if there was a shut-in and they desired to have the Lord's Supper, we would partake of the Lord's Supper with them on a Sunday afternoon so that they could uh, observe 
the Lord's Supper. Did you did you do all the acts of worship when you met with them in the nursing home? Did you um, sing and pray and and uh, uh, did you give? Did you did you? Uh, we did not give. No, we didn't see, give. See, the, the the problem, Jeanette, is I think that we have, and I'm not talking about you exclusively, but I think that so often. Through the years, we have left the, I think, erroneous impression that the Lord's Supper is exclusively the most important act of worship. And I don't believe that it is. I believe it's a very important act of worship, but it's not any more important than teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's that's a part of our corporate worship, too. And we need, we, in other words, I... I and I'm just appealing to you, uh, and I'm not, I don't want to be harsh or judgmental, but I'm just appealing to you to, to consider that you, your practice is actually not a consistent application of the whole notion of worship. That if we're going to worship, we gotta, we gotta do the totality of worship. Yeah. I think, you know, Jeanette, you mentioned that it's it was command of of Jesus in Matthew twenty six, and it was, and so we don't we're not diminishing that at all. We we must fulfill His command, but there are other commands that we have to fulfill in assembling together. For instance, Hebrews ten verse twenty five tells us that we're exhorting one another when we come together in the assembly. That's a command. We need to be doing that. But if there is some extenuating circumstance where I'm in a car wreck on the way to services and I can't get there. That that God excuses us when there are other things yeah, that preclude I, us from doing that. But when he does, when we are not able to assemble, he will excuse us from not exhorting one another, not singing together, not praying together, not giving, and well, not partaking of the Lord's Supper. When we're zooming in, we did all of that. You didn't. Except you, did, for giving because we weren't at that one spot. Did, did, uh, but we did would... Did you Nail sing? it in or do whatever. Did you sing? Yes. How did, did, did I, how did wasn't I very, it wasn't very pleasant because <laughs> there were so many delays. <laughs> so, but, but you could actually hear one another singing? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, well, that's we probably did it not so that the, we could all hear each other. Well, that's probably not the great example then. But, but again, the, the point of it is. and, and probably and, sound like you were singing in tongues, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, I just want to challenge your thinking on this because it's not, uh, again, the, the authority of Scripture requires taking in the totality of information that's available. And so it's not just the direct, the, the, the command of Jesus. It's also the, the inspired example and it's also the, the the direct statement of inspired Apostle Paul in in the First Corinthians letter. You put that all together, and and I, I'm I'm very much convinced that the Scripture teaches us that the observance of the Lord's Supper must take place in the assembly of the saints when the whole church has come together into one physical location. Uh, and and I just want to appeal to you not to let your conscience or emotion take you away from the full consideration of those facts. And, and Jeanette, I like what you said about the fact that, 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 that you weren't going to be able to take of the Lord's Supper for months on end and that being in, 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 you know, inconceivable in your mind. I appreciate that. My, my answer to that would be you need to be encouraging your brethren to worship and assemble as they should. The government can say don't assemble, but we've got a command from God that we need to be assembling. 
And now there, yeah, may be extin- there may be extenuating circumstances to that as well that precludes that. But in general, we need to be assembling. And yeah, I would encourage and, you. And there's, and there's really questions well, we, about whether we... We now are assembling. Yeah, not, yeah. not to give you the wrong idea. Yeah, yeah. But there for a couple of months, you know, they had shut us down. And it might happen again. But, and it might happen again. Yeah, but we have, yeah and it might happen again, like you said. But and, it, up here in Vermont, we're the, one of the states that has the least amount of deaths right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. You well, know, thank, but, thanks for calling in and clarifying, Jeanette. I, I think there's some things for you to think about. Uh, again, and, and, and my bottom line admonition to you would be you've got to take the whole the whole sum of information available on the question, not just Matthew 26 when Jesus spoke of it, but when the inspired apostles also addressed that subject and actually personally engaged in the practice, they give us additional information that has to be factored in to get the totality of authority for the observance of the Lord's Supper. But okay, we thank you for well, calling thanks again. For listening. Yeah, thanks, thank Jeanette. you for calling, Jeanette. Really good to hear from you okay. again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, good discussion. Uh, we are up against a break. Time for this week's bullet point. When we get back, uh, we need to get to this fruit of the vine. Was it fermented? Was it not? Was that the problem with the, with the first Corinthians, yeah, uh, Corinthians there? We want to look at that. All right. Don't go anywhere. The verse Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we'll hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of Roger Schaus. Some national health experts are declaring that society ought never to shake hands again. Many prominent religious leaders are declaring that as much as 30% of churches will never again gather in a church building. So the virtual church becomes a reality. Worshiping from home becomes the new way of doing things. And there's a great appeal to that. One doesn't have to get up early, get cleaned up, and drive to the building. You can roll out of bed in your jammies with bedhead and a cup of coffee and just worship away. How easy, how convenient, how wonderful this is. We must not get too comfortable, though, with virtual. We need to be reminding folks that we need them back in the church building. Staying at home may be easy, comfortable, and what they like, but it's not the New Testament pattern. We need to be together. We need to see each other's faces. We need to hear each other's voices. And Zoom isn't the answer. The answer is to get up, get down to the church house when you can. Convenient has never been in God's vocabulary. Do you think it was convenient for Noah to build the ark? How about Moses going to Pharaoh? How about wandering through the wilderness? And the cross, convenient? Sometimes convenient can be just one step away from being lazy. We know that in other relationships of life, virtual doesn't work. Can you imagine a virtual marriage? Here's a couple, and they do not even live in the same state, yet virtually they are married. No way. How about a virtual family? No. A virtual vacation? Forget it. A virtual church? A virtual preacher? A virtual membership? Forget it. Don't go there. Modern churches always chase after the newest fads. 
virtual church is the newest fad. And in the end, I suppose they hope to go to heaven. I wonder if folks in a virtual church would be satisfied with a virtual heaven, not me. Give me the real thing. Come together. That's what the disciples did in the first century, and that's what we must do. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. To remind you, this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. And check out some live streaming, Kyle, or better yet, uh, check out some recordings of some sermons uh, after the fact. Yeah, which uh, we would love for you to come in person, but if you can't, then we have some good studies online, uh, our uh, YouTube playlist. So we have some good Bible studies and good morning lessons. And yeah, so we're putting out good lessons a day. So it's uh, three on Sundays and Wednesday nights and our virtual Bible study here on different channels, the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. So. Yeah, and uh, the critics agree that uh, the production quality of that is quite impressive. Kyle's doing a nice job. Good, there. good, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brian's in California. He says the willingness to partake on the Lord's Day in some improvised manner is driven, I believe, for obedience' sake. As commendable as that might be, I agree. If it is insufficient to the example found in First Corinthians 11, we are not in accord with with Scripture. And so he says. These are commendable objectives that people have. They have good motives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But motives aren't all that matters. We've got to be in accordance with God. I, I, I hope everybody understands. We're we're not attacking people's genuine sincerity. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but we just we're just urging. It's do it. Do what we do by Bible authority. Our conscience, our desires aren't sufficient authority. We could think back about Uzzah as he studied the ark on that cart. He had good conscience. No doubt he had sincere motives. He just couldn't, in all good conscience, he couldn't stand to watch that ark fall and tumble to the ground. But it wasn't sufficient authority for him to act in the way that he did, and God struck him dead. That's how important it is, and that's how we have to be committed to Bible authority, not just our thoughts on the process. Exactly right. All right. All right, we're going to have to move quickly, and uh, we have to get good phone calls, so we may not be able to cover all of our we're bases tonight. We're going to do it. All right, real quickly from Stephen in uh, North Carolina. Uh, regarding the fruit of the vine, the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one, and Paul condemned the Corinthians for being drunken. drunken. The Greek word is methuo, uh, and Strong says it, it is to drink to intoxication to get drunk. Are we to assume that taking fermented wine itself was just another one of their abuses, or was it okay for the Corinthians to drink fermented wine if they did not become? drunken okay first of all and 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 i actually talked to steve on the phone about this or no i guess i had some private correspondence with him about this we didn't talk in person but we we emailed back and forth about this i i i would be aghast to use the abuses of the corinthian brethren as authority for anything obviously first corinthians eleven twenty one, paul is condemning the the corinthians and so to use, but I've known brethren who do that. They say, well, obviously Christians consumed fermented wine because the Corinthians were getting drunken on it. Well, but but the point of that verse is that they were being condemned for what they did. And so you can't, uh, to me, it would be just a horrible application of biblical hermeneutics to take that statement and say, therefore, there is our authority to use fermented wine. Uh, in any way, in the Lord's Supper or any other time, uh, but people people try Doesn't to do prove that. that they were authorized to have it there to begin with. 
That's the argument. But I'm saying it doesn't prove that. No. It doesn't prove that they, they, they were doing something they shouldn't have done, but it doesn't prove that, well, it was all right to have the, the booze there anyway. Yeah. Now, the word methuo does mean, can, can in context mean drinking to the point of intoxication to be drunk, but it can also mean, and I think Kent mentions this, Jacob, uh, and, and we got an email from Jeff down in Alabama, and he says the Greek word methuo uh, can simply mean, uh, well, let me read what he says. The Greek word methuo is also used in the Gospel of John, John chapter 2, verse 10. They had already well drunk methuo, grape juice, which can be preserved in its natural state, according to Matthew 9, 17. That's at the wedding feast. So the, the, the word is used there, that, that the guests were already well drunk. Mm-hmm. And the word there means satiated or satisfied, full. We would just say, I'm full. I can't eat another bite. Mm-hmm. That, that, w- that word would apply there. Uh, so he, he says this had to, uh, says, well, which, is evident, which was evidently unfermented wine that was served with some shelf life to it. When Jesus made several gallons more, which was even better, for, like fresh squeezed for them to drink, who would suggest that Jesus would partake her in any kind of intoxication? So he uses the example there that the word methuo does not always mean intoxicated drunk. It can mean just satiated or full or satisfied because Jesus didn't make the, the word in John 2. Jeff's point is the word in John 2 does not mean intoxicated. They were well drunk. That is that they'd had their fill and and Jesus so Jesus didn't give more intoxicating wine to people who were already intoxicated. Yep. He he made more grape juice for people who were already full of grape juice. Okay. Uh he goes on and says did the one who taught his disciples to pray and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil Matthew 6:13 provide those who had already well drunk with a substance that causes many to stumble the Greek word methuo is the equivalent of being well drunk regardless of the substance being consumed. The context must determine what has been drunk. Paul had already told them that they were to set apart uh, from drunkenness back in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Yeah. Thank you for that. And uh, Kent uh, says regarding 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one, this was the common meal, which the Lord's Supper was not an authorized component. We note that such, a, and, and I'm not sure, I may, I may differ with him a little bit on that. We note such, according to Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, in the meat, eating of this meal, individuals were taking their own supper or uh, or taking beforehand, they were consuming the food before the usual time. Some were not waiting for others to arrive and consuming all the food without sharing. It is in this context that Paul refers to the drunkenness, the methuo. While the while the methuo in specific context refers to a state of intoxication, it can also refer to a condition of overindulgence where no intoxication uh, uh, with regard to the consumption of alcohol takes place. In 1 Corinthians 11.20, it's possible that Paul was condemning simply overindulging in food and drink without being intoxicated. If he is condemning actual drunkenness, then he's also condemning the usage of alcoholic wine and the perversion of the Lord's Supper. When the Lord's Supper is to be identified as being observed in a scriptural manner, the specified element that we drink is fruit of the vine, unfermented grape juice, not not wine, oinos. Uh, and he references Matthew 26.27 and following 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. The case is that the bread was required to be unleavened, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. The cup of necessity will also be required to be non-alcoholic. And Dwight in Iowa says, I would like to say that the Lord would not endorse the use of alcoholic drink at any time, especially for remembering his death. I believe there are many passages that tell us that we are to not use alcohol at all as Christians. Thank you for that, Dwight and Kent. All right. 
Uh, here's a question I think we can answer fairly quickly. Lou is in Minnesota, and he says, what makes Sunday the Lord's Day? He says, not trying to go off topic, just an honest question. What makes Sunday the Lord's Day? Uh, actually, we have that terminology uh, in uh, Revelation chapter, let me see if I can find it. 1 right. verse 10. Yeah, Revelation 1 verse 10. The Apostle John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and heard behind me a great voice as of the trumpet. Um, so that is scriptural terminology, Lord's Day. And uh, I, I, I think the best explanation I can offer is it is the day on which our Lord was resurrected, yeah. making it his day. Although Lord's it's not day. specified in it. Yeah, there's, that's no not, there's, no, there's no explanation to why that name was applied. But it is but a scriptural term for yeah. the first Sunday, the first day of the week. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hope that helps, Lou. If you've got any questions, follow up uh, in, the, in the chat room there. Uh, let's see if we can squeeze in, uh, well, can we squeeze in Dwight? Okay, Dwight's question was about uh, the giving. Uh, he says, I've seen brethren uh, in the past give their offering to another member to give for them because they were going to be gone from the services that Sunday. Scripture teaches us to give upon the first day of the week. Let him, let quote, let him uh give not grudgingly of necessity should we be giving our offering to another to give would it be indifferent to ask someone to take the lord's supper for us if we're going to miss uh so giving by proxy taking the lord's supper by proxy yeah uh the the um in first corinthians 16 verse 1 now concerning the collection for the saints as i have given order to the church of galatia even so do ye upon the first day of the week let every one of you Lay by him in sore as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. Uh, we use that verse obviously to connect with Acts 20 verse 7 to show that the first day of the week was their normal day for coming together. Uh, in this giving, uh, Dwight mentions, um, uh, it says, let him give in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Let him give, not grudging over necessity. So the question is, if I'm not in the assembly, it, it was clearly something they did when they came together from 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. It was something they did in the assembly as an act of worship. If I'm not there, if I'm not able to be there, should I give by proxy? And I think there may be a, I mean, we've never really thought or challenged on that point, but there may be some substance to what Dwight is asking. Let me ask you a question. Is 1 Corinthians 16 mandating it in an assembly? Because I've had some I've recent, had that, I've had had some recent discussions. Yeah. I don't know that I would say that. It is mandated. It seems assumed that they're going to be coming together. It's obviously something they're doing uh, into a common treasury. It's not. They're not putting it aside at home. So it's in a common treasury. Acts chapter five, when they were giving their Ananias and Sapphira, that was apparently not an assembly, right? Because they were coming in at different times. So someone, some, some have said, well, you know, some have had like during this pandemic where they drive by the church building and put it in a box in the. Or, um, or I think Jeanette on our phone call said they were mailing in there mailing in contributions. There. Or what if it's in the back of the auditorium and it's not part of the uh, assembly? You drop it, in a you box drop it on your way out. out. I'm more comfortable with it in the assembly, but are we reading something in between the lines there? I, I, I know that we, we had uh, uh, had some 
email correspondence and you and, and uh, your friend Brent in North Alabama were discussing this. Yep. And uh, it's, it's a legitimate question. And so, uh, again, I think the fail-safe proof way do it in the, in the is, is to do it in the assembly. But yep. there may be some basis or argumentation that it doesn't have to be. It, it, the, the wording is not the same as the... Lord's Supper, right. when the whole church comes together in one place. Right. The, that wording is not the same concerning the giving. We need to talk about that because I'm seeing on church websites, even what might be described as conservative church websites, online giving, you've seen that? No, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. So we need, So can I use PayPal or do I have to use a credit card? or? Well, uh, I think you probably use anything you want. Yeah. But any day you want, maybe. And so I don't know. Something to think about uh, or talk about. I, I would not feel. I would not be comfortable. I would not say we're following the commands of First Corinthians 16 if we're using PayPal on Monday morning. Well, it, it now at least First Corinthians 16, 1 and two tells you the day, the first day of the week. Tells you the day. Yeah, and so that might. I mean, I mean, if you want to be very carefully, meticulously following the law, then if I if I mail it in, I'm not. That's not going to happen on the same day. In other words, I can't mail it on Sunday and I get it on Sunday. Mm. So that may preclude mail-in yep. giving. Yep. Uh, what about drive-by? You know, we're not meeting in the assembly, but we can drop it off in a uh, in a collection box in the parking lot on Sunday. I think it needs to be done on Sunday. It does. It's clear from the scriptures. It needs to be done on Sunday. Here's what uh, Kent says. If one gives uh, from his or her own abundance on the first day of the week as they've been prospered, First Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, the case being that one may be traveling and out of town does not change the teaching of the scriptures when they have another Christian pass the contribution into the local church treasury on their behalf. They are the one doing the giving. The contribution is not coming from the accumulated funds of the one passing the contribution to the local church treasury on their behalf. Please consider this. Elders are required to teach or and or spiritually feed the local church, Acts 20, verse 28. Does such mean that the elders can act in an, the elders act in an unauthorized way when they permit others to teach the local church in a scriptural manner? Why would such not be parallel with having another Christian pass their own contribution into the local church treasury when we were out of town, eating the Lord's Supper on behalf of another would not be parallel. Only the one doing the eating would be involved. Such is not the case with passing another's contribution into the treasury on their behalf. That's a good point Kent makes. I mean, uh, so if you give me uh, a $10 bill and say, give that to Kyle, uh, and then would Kyle say, well, I, I owe this to Kyle. Would you give it would to him? And Kyle's, well, Jacob gave me the $10. No. It came from it you. It still came from me. That's, so, that's an interesting point. Here's interesting. what Dwight says. I believe that when one gives back to the Lord, that individual or couple has already purposed in their heart what they wanted to give and that they should be the ones doing the giving back to the Lord, not someone else to give it for them to the Lord. The giving and Lord's Supper is an individual part of worship, and it is a privilege for us to give back and partake of the Lord's Supper as directed. Okay. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Dwight I, in my uh, practice. I'm, if I'm not present, I'm going to wait until I can be present uh, on the first day of the week uh, to do that in person. Yeah. I don't tell you, this this is another area where there's been, I think, some real suffering going on during this pandemic. There's people who have not attended services for months and who haven't given for months. Are uh, Are we to expect that? If and when they come back into the assembly, we're going to see a big contribution because they've been accumulating it all to give in person when they come. I think something I really fear that some Christians think if I don't go to church this Sunday, I don't have to give this Sunday. Well, yep. And that's and that's just, uh, I think, a big mistake.
Uh, uh, Rick's in the chat room. He says the fellowship in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, was there laying in store. This was on the first day of the week. For, uh, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. He says that fellowship would be laying by in store, and that would have occurred in the assembly. I think is what he's saying. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Rick, for that. Brian said, sincere, honest questions regarding giving, but if the alternative is robbing God of our first fruits, I fear reproach. Do we risk problem? Maticizing the incidental acts. Yeah, yeah. I I I think there's a way to. I, I I don't think that they're. I don't think that these questions about the giving are parallel to the questions about the Lord's Supper. I do think our giving needs to be on the first day of the week. It needs to be as we've purposed in our heart. But my purposing in the heart is that I was not able to be at this place last Sunday, so my, my, I'm purposing to give more. This Sunday, since I wasn't here last Sunday, it's a plan. It's a purpose of the heart. Uh, uh, it's a laying by in store. Well, let's ask this question. I mean, we need to move on. But let's say I'm laid up in, at the house with the flu, and um, well, the rest of the family's going. Can my wife take the the check? And am I not am I not really giving since I wasn't there? Do you write two checks when you both are? We don't. There? We don't. So yeah. See. Um, so let's some things to think about. There's some things to think about. Yeah, I, I, but again, I don't think they're parallel to the no. Lord's Supper concerns so. yeah. at all. Uh, shall we take a break? We've got just a little short amount of time here. Yeah. Uh, what, what time have we got? Want to skip? Let's just let's just skip through let's the break. Roll. Let's, and let's, roll. let's let's roll with the one cup question. We asked the question: Should we use just one cup in the observance of the Lord's Supper, since this is what Jesus? Uh, and the disciples did when the Lord's Supper was instituted. Or so the argument goes. Yeah. I, I asked that question. It was a trick question because I asked that question because that's the way it's usually presented, but that's not actually provable. Uh, so and, the argument uh, is we got to have this one cup and you're going to pass it around and, and swap uh, spit. Uh, during the COVID crisis, especially, you know. Should we be doing? I wonder. We got folks who believe that. Not too far from here. I still I understand they're still meeting. Yeah. Are they still taking one cup? I understand they are. Okay. From what I've heard. All right. I think it's an assumption not provable that that Jesus and the disciples used one cup. In fact, historically, we're told that the Jews, when they would observe the Passover meal, that each of each participant at the Passover meal would have their own individual cup. That's that's just sort of understood uh, historically and traditionally by the observance of the Jews. But in Luke chapter 22, uh, beginning verse 15, Jesus said, uh, With desire I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will not any more eat thereof till it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. Hang on to that. For I say to you, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, get this. He, he took the cup and he told them to divide it among yourselves. What did they divide? How did they divide it? And when did they ultimately consume it? They consumed it after they had divided it among themselves. They all had their own individual drinking containers, and they divided the contents of the cup into their several containers and later partook of it after they had partaken of the bread. So I, I think it, uh, and I worded, again, I worded the question 
specifically to try to draw out that point that it's an assumption that the that Jesus and the disciples used one cup in the institution of the Lord's Supper. I think that's not so. But he said it's the cup. Why why call it the cup? Why didn't he call it the fruit of the vine? Well, that's that is actually uh, a figure of speech called metonymy. Um uh, the American College Dictionary defines metonymy as the use of the name of one thing for that of another, which has some logical relationship. A scepter for sovereignty of the king. In other words, the king's scepter is a reference to his sovereignty. Or the bottle. That guy has been on the bottle. Uh, well, we're talking about a guy who's been drunk. He's been, he's been consuming alcohol. What's in the bottle? We use metonymy a lot. Uh, for instance... You might hear someone say, bring a covered dish to the potluck, potluck supper. You're just going to bring a, a, no, that's a reference to what's in it. We don't care to have your dish if there's yeah. nothing in it. Yeah. We yeah. want what's in it. Bring a covered dish to the potluck supper. Or how about this? Today, the White House announced, what's that mean? Is the, is the House talking? That's a reference to to the government's authority figures that are housed there. Uh, In the Bible, uh, uh, we we reference autonomy, uh, metonymy. And autonomy. uh, And autonomy, but metonymy. uh, For instance, Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, move of fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. He did not save his house, by the way. His house was destroyed yeah. in the flood. Yeah. The house is a reference to his family. That's that's the idea of metonymy. And that's what Jesus was doing when he referenced the cup. You don't drink the cup. You drink the context contents, uh, rather, of the cup. Um, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, of the text that we've been referencing over and over again in our last two-week study, Jesus, verse 25, after the same manner, verse 25, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often you drink it. And remember to me, drink the cup. How do you drink the cup? You can't, do you grind it up into powder and then, and then put some water with it and drink it? No, you're, you're drinking the context. It's metonymy. It's a figure of speech. We use it all the time. Kent says the cup under consideration in the observance of the Lord's Supper is not the container, but rather the contents of the container, that is the fruit of the vine. Regardless of any number of containers that we use in the observance of the Lord's Supper, when Christians in a given local assembly all drink of the fruit of the vine in observance of the Lord's Supper, we are all partaking of the one cup. Luke, in Luke 22:17, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and told them, take this and divide it among yourselves. Such implies that there was more than one container. And uh, Dwight says, with the cup, we are at liberty to use multiple cups or a single cup if we so desire. The cup itself is nothing. We don't drink the literal cup. We drink of the contents of the cup, which is the fruit of the vine, grape juice. Luke 22, verse 17 states, when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share or divide it among yourselves, the New American Standard Version. When they uh, Were they to share the cup or its contents? We understand it to be the contents of the fruit of the vine. If we use a single cup, we must not insist that one cup is necessary. Yeah, I mean, you could use one cup. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that yeah. we, if that's your judgment that you want to use one cup, you can do it. But that's not what's bound in Scripture. Okay. Now, what about this other idea you mentioned here? The, okay. the mysterious anonymous questioner from Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, should there be only one piece of bread until the blessing is offered and then break it or break it up, pass it out? Uh, some people have a real conscience about it. I remember when I was a kid, my mom 
I was one of the ladies in the church that would make the, the communion bread. And she would make several pieces because she's afraid she would break it in, in getting it out and getting it, getting ready to go. And so she would make several cases, pieces because she believed there needed to be one piece that would go to, to the congregational meeting and that, that it would not be broken from that one piece until the blessing had been offered for it. We kind of liked her doing that because when she, when she made several pieces, then the pieces that she ended up not using, we got to eat. She would sprinkle sugar and cinnamon oh, on. Yeah. And, and, and we thought that was a special treat. So we kind of liked that practice, but I don't think that that is, uh, is mandated. Uh, the word to break, uh, for instance, go back to Luke 22, uh, he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them. The, that's just the, the notion of distributing it. To break the bread in that sense is to distribute it. He distributed it to them. I believe you could argue from, I think this one cup and one bread, uh, question can be answered by the, by the practice of the church in Jerusalem at its immediate founding. There were over 3,000 members the very first day that church existed. They could not all have possibly used one cup and there's, there wouldn't have possibly been a piece of bread big enough for them to be to divided up and pass it out among all of them. Here's what Kent said. If the usage of uh, a single drinking tin caner is required of in the observance of the Lord's Supper, and only one piece of unleavened bread is to be used until thanks is to be offered, such would have presented some definite problems on right. Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the church was established. Upon what basis would it be required for the bread to be only a single piece prior to giving of thanks? while a plurality of pieces would be acceptable after giving of thanks. Not only that, history gives evidence that in the observance, observing the, of the Passover feast, every participant had their own container from which they drank. Lord's Supper was established within the same time frame of the Passover, which would explain how the disciples divided the cup among themselves. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And so, again, I, I would argue that the terminology to break, uh, bless it and break it uh, concerning the, the bread in the Lord's Supper is an expression that denotes uh, uh, the distributing of it, the, the passing it out. And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, when he had given thanks, uh, uh, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take it, this is my body. He, he blessed it, and then he distributed it to them. And so I think there is basis for a, a distribution. distribution in the observance of the Lord's Supper. But it doesn't have to be from one piece of bread. Yeah, that's something we, that, that many need to think about here in this uh, observance as well. As you mentioned, it needs to, it, the pattern was that he distributed, he blessed it, and then distributed it. And I think that we need to. Be you know, well. again, people are going to think we are absolute nitpickers about this, but some congregations I know have been when when people come into this, and because we got to keep all this social distancing and so forth going during the pandemic, they have actually been giving the elements to to the worshipers as they come into the assembly there's no distribution there's no breaking of it there's no passing it out uh um again i don't i don't want to be considered a horrible nitpicker but i think that there's a pattern here we just it seems like we're too ready to throw the pattern out the window all right good good observations Lots of things to think about, and I think we've probably, well, have we answered them all now? Do we have a third week? I don't know. I don't think I we don't have a third week. I think we've got to move on to another topic next yeah, week. We, is the horse dead? Well, I mean, it's not a, we shouldn't use language like that or about the Lord's Supper, but have we, have we covered it? 
I think it's been, it's a good study. I think it's a it's a needed study, obviously during these uh, odd times of uh, assembly. So hopefully we can I hope we can get back to a normal assembly where we can just uh, you know do the Lord's Supper as we normally would. Uh, I hate well normally it's I don't think we'll see normal for a good while. <laughs> In yeah, I just anything. I just hope you quit pushing for the chocolate chips and the and the and the milk. Uh, it's just going to be there one day. We're just going to go with it. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah you, I hope you were listening. To yeah, that, again, again, that that may be the most important observation of of the last two week study. People agree about the importance of being careful to use the right elements in the Lord's Supper. If you're going to be careful there, then use the same reasoning to be careful about all aspects of our service to God. Have Bible authority. It's that important. And we yeah. can, and maybe it's time for another top uh, discussion on that, Dad. It's been a long time since so we've talked about on the on that virtual Bible study the need for that. Uh, but this illustrates how important it is, and uh, and we need to be committed to that. It's the only way that we can be unified. If yeah. if we're just doing what we think and what seems good for us, then we will. There will always be religious division, and God hates religious division. We need to be unified. We do that by following His word. Thank you, right. Thanks for the good discussion tonight, Dad. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for your help tonight, Kyle. And thank you for listening. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word tonight. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.